It was an innocent trip. I was in pursuit of spaghetti, perhaps, or maybe an Italian sandwich. This was a part of my regular routine as a staff intern at the U.S. Department of State in Washington, D.C. Every weekday morning, I braved the metro, hoofed it several blocks to the great stone rectangle that is the State Department building, and there commenced a struggle with the mailbox code lock. This is what D.C. interns did. They got the mail, unlocked the office, answered any early morning phone calls, and handled filing and photocopying. By mid-morning, I was usually ready for lunch. The lowly position of staff intern at the State Department was nonetheless an exciting one for a boy from small-town Maine. Growing up, I was familiar with the city in the same terms as most Americans from the nightly news video footage. Now, in 2004, I wasn't watching coverage of the halls of power. I was walking them. I worked for the White House at State in the office of White House Liaison. It was a heady role. I escorted political appointees to various offices, faxed resumes to the Baghdad Palace in the midst of the Iraq War, and handled phone calls from a dizzying array of very important people. I was in close proximity to greatness, but had not directly encountered it. Until, that is, I went hunting for some pasta. As I rounded the corner in the vast but empty cafeteria of the State Department, I came face to face with Colin Powell himself, regal, ramrod straight, wearing his crisp jacket with row upon row of military decorations. I froze, just the Secretary of State and me. Hello, I said meekly. Hi, he said with a nod. Colin Powell and me, two men united by an affinity for late morning pasta. My fleeting brush with global leadership multiplied several times over in America's capital. I walked past a bleary-eyed Ted Kennedy late one night on Capitol Hill, where I lived. I went to the White House for one of President George W. Bush's helicopter departures. When Ronald Reagan died, I stood in a very long line to see him lying in state. D.C. was, and is, a head-turning place. It may be the nerd Hollywood, but you can barely exit an overcrowded metro stop without bumping into a wonkish celebrity. There is a metaphor here for Christians in the American public square. Evangelicals have entered the halls of power. In some cases, actually, we built them, only to be ushered out later. In other cases, we came late to the soiree. But though we find ourselves in the great societal conversations of the age, we often struggle to know exactly what to say. This is especially true of young evangelicals. We know we want to be a voice for life and liberty and happiness in our time, but we're not confident in our voice. Millennial Christians, those born in the 1980s or later, do know very clearly what they don't want to be. As a child of 1981, I'm aware of our desire to avoid social awkwardness, for example. Few things are worse in the age of entertainment monoculture than this, being the weird one, the person who talks too loudly, shows exceeding earnestness, and voices opinions too rapidly. Beyond this, we want to be liked, to be popular, and to have lots of, quote, friends and followers on social media. When it comes to politics in particular, we want to be a voice of fairness. Many young Christians, I sense, feel that they have few public square role models. This is not true in every category. If you want to be a preacher, you've got numerous faithful figures. Mark Dever, John Piper, Tim Keller. If you want to be a Christian academic, there are many examples. 
Mark Knoll, Al Moeller, Karen Swallow Pryor. If you want to be a public intellectual or media personality, one thinks of Eric Metaxas, Shannon Bream, and Lauren Green. But to whom does one turn to find a modern public square exemplar? This is a trickier matter. 